this week on Hope for the Broken. Listen, I think if there's one thing that we could all agree on, it's the fact that we live in a dark world. Everywhere you look, you see evidence of brokenness in our world. And you know what I often say whenever I see those things? Come, Lord Jesus, and redeem that which is broken in our world. But today, I want you to hear what I think Jesus might be saying to us. I've already come, and I indwell in the life of the followers of mine. You and I are lights in a very dark world. Welcome to Hope for the Broken, the audio podcast ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Mount Pleasant, Texas. I'm your host, Austin Mahoney. We exist to become a gospel-centered community redeeming brokenness through hope in Jesus Christ. At Trinity, we believe we are all broken and in need of the redeeming hope found in Jesus. For more information about our church, visit us on our website at trinitytx.org. This week, we continue our series called I Am. Here's our pastor, Chris Wigley, with part two titled, The Light of the World. Listen, today we continue in a teaching series that we started last week uh, entitled I Am. We're taking a look at the seven different I Am statements contained in the Gospel of John. And Jesus is very intentional, as we discovered last week, in using this very phrase, I Am. And in these seven statements, Jesus reveals to us who He is, and what he came here to accomplish. And so last week we took a look at uh, I am the bread of life. And we talked about how Jesus is the source of true, abundant, fulfilling uh, life, eternal life. And uh, this week we're going to turn to the second I am statement uh, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so I want to invite you to grab your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 8. We're going to be in John chapter 8 this morning as we take a look at verse 12. Before we jump there, I just want to do a little survey. How many of you, by a show of hands, remember Super Bowl 47? Okay. yeah, The same way, right? I don't even remember. What what Super Bowl are we on now? I don't even know what Super Bowl we're on now. Uh, How many of you remember Super Bowl 2013? What if I said it that way? Still on one person, okay. Uh, what if I said, do you remember the Super Bowl where the lights went out? How many, how many of you are showing? Okay, a lot more, right? So we may not remember the exact dates or the number, but we certainly remember the events where in the middle of the game, the lights went out. Now, you may not remember that it was uh, Baltimore Ravens and the San Francisco 49ers duking it out for the championship, but we are apt to remember the lights going out. It halted the game for about 20 to 30 minutes and uh, and kind of changed the tempo of the game a little bit, if, if you think back to it. But there's something about the dark that is extremely unsettling to all of us. You know, when we were kids, we were afraid of the dark. What happened in the dark? Well, the boogeyman came out of the closet, right? Or came out from an under the bed. And, and so we would, we would want to leave on a little light because that would be enough to just keep them, you know, at bay, right? Um, we also fear the dark today because, you know, like my parents said, nothing good happens after 10 p.m. Can I get an amen on that? Right? Nothing good. There's no need to be out in the dark. Criminals often hide in the cloak of what? The dark, the darkness of night is when they engage in in very evil activity. How many of you hate driving? 
in the dark, right? Yeah, you can't see the things that you need to see in order to navigate. And nowadays with those LED headlights, like it looks like everyone that's coming at you has their brights on, right? We need to change that. Like there needs to be a law against that or something. It's so blinding and it's difficult to navigate even driving a vehicle at, at night. We don't like darkness, and, and Jesus provides us with a great deal of hope and a great deal of encouragement when he says, listen, I have come. I am the light of the world. And there's so much wrapped up into this that, that we'll get to here in just a moment. Um, but we're going to address it the way Jesus addresses it uh, this morning. I, I think he's got a pretty good outline. So I'm, my outline is just stealing from Jesus, if that's okay with you. But he's going to talk about the source He's going to talk about the scattering, and then he's going to talk about the sharing of this light. That's our outline this morning. Now, by way of background information, before we jump in, I want to kind of set the scene uh, that is, uh, is happening, the backdrop of which Jesus makes this claim, because I think it gives us even greater insight here as to what he means by saying that he is the light of the world. In John chapter 8, what is happening is the Feast of Tabernacles. Or maybe the, the heading in your Bible says the Feast of Booths. It's the same feast. And this was a feast that commemorated how God provided and uh, for the Israelites while they wandered in the wilderness. And there's two key components to God's provision there. Of course, there's, there's another, the manna from heaven like we talked about last week. But the two that this feast commemorated was that God led them by a pillar of cloud at day. Right, So he shielded them from the, from the harmful sunshine. But then he led them by a pillar of fire at night so that they could illuminate their paths and see where they should go. And, and what would happen at this, at this Feast of Tabernacles, Feast of Booths, is that the Israelites would actually camp in tents outside of the city and they would participate in, in festivities throughout the day. Well, the very first day of the Feast of Tabernacles... There is a lighting ceremony that happens, and it is to commemorate the fact that, that God led them as a pillar of fire by night. Now, I want to show you where this happened in the temple. I brought a picture, a layout of the temple on that day, and you'll see that there are several different courts uh, in this temple. The largest single court is the court of women, the women's court, which is the far right side of this, of this diagram. Anyone could come into that court. And it was in this court that they would set up giant horns where people would pay their tithes and their offerings and, and they would participate in other kinds of, uh, of things. Well, it's in the women's court that four large candelabras are lit, signifying, commemorating that God led them by a pillar of fire at night when they wandered in the wilderness. Now, when I say candelabras, you're probably picturing in your mind like something that you hold with, with your hand. No, these were giant vats, 65-gallon vats that held oil in them. And the priest would take their old priestly robes and tie them together and twist them uh, up and then put them in the vat. And that would actually serve as the wick by which this large thing was lit. It was lifted on this giant pillar that young priest would climb a ladder that was stacked against this pillar and actually light that torch. Now, if you're, if you're a pyromaniac, that's the job for you. You know what I'm talking about? And, and so they would climb up and they would light these four giant candelabras. 
What is said of when that would finally light and ignite is that it would give light to the whole city of Jerusalem. In fact, many, many church history, historians will say that every single courtyard of every single home in Jerusalem was illuminated when these candelabras were lit. And here's what it was to illuminate, to, to bring attention to the very Shekinah glory of God, shining in such a way that it gives light to everyone nearby. And it is one week from the lighting of those candelabras that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And so what Jesus is saying is that you just celebrated an event of God, an event where, where God brought light to the people in the wilderness. Well, guess what? That very light has a name. And that very light is standing before you today. I am the light of the world. So let's read it. John chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Remember, we talked about how Jesus saying, I am, ties us back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses is standing before a burning bush that is not being consumed, and, and he asks God, he says, what is your name so that I can tell the people who is leading them out of slavery in Egypt? And he said in, in uh, Exodus three fourteen, I am who I am. That's God's name. It's his covenant name, Yahweh. And so here again, Jesus using the phrase, I am, is not only tying it to God's name, he's tying it to the event by which God led his people as a pillar of fire at night. In essence, Jesus is saying, I am that very light that guided you. Now, this very statement will draw all kinds of hatred and skepticism from religious leaders, but for us, as followers of Jesus, this is filled with all kinds of awesome promises. And again, Jesus backs up his claims to be God in the very resurrection events that we celebrated just a couple of weekends ago. He proved that he is indeed who he said he was. So let's begin by looking at this statement by first examining the source. The source. Jesus says, he is the light. That is, that he is the source of light. Now, when you look at light all throughout the Old and the New Testaments, by the way, there's about 200 occurrences of this word light. It carries with it all kinds of connotations. It has all kinds of meanings. To say that something is represented by light has a specific, a specific meaning. For example, light is a creation of God. Remember in Genesis 1, verse 3, what was God's very first creation? Let there be light, right? Genesis 1, 3. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And so light is a created thing by God. And then in verse 4 of Genesis 1, we learn, and God saw that the light was what? Good. It was good. And God separated the light from darkness. Now, that's going to be very important here in just a moment. Another way light is used in the Bible is to describe God himself. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says this, 
And this is the message we have heard from him and that we proclaim to you that God is what? Light. It's okay to participate, right? We can, we can participate together. God is light. Now, look what else. And in him, in God, there is no darkness at all. Now, when you take that, the fact that God himself is light, and you apply it to Revelation chapter 21, which is talking about the new heaven and the new earth, and in particular, the, the new Jerusalem, look at, what, look at what is said of that experience. Romans, or Revelation chapter 21, verse 23 says this, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God gives it light. The Shekinah glory of God is the source of light in the new heaven, in the new earth that we will all get to experience in the very presence of God. And look what else it says. And it says the source of the light is the Lamb. Well, who's the Lamb? It's Jesus, right? He Behold, John the Baptist says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, quite literally, he's saying, listen, God is light. I am God, therefore I am the light to the world. You see the reasoning here. You see what Jesus is is getting at. So light has some connotations in it. Another symbolism of light has to deal with the, the contrast between light and darkness, right? Every time you read about light in the scriptures, it refers to holiness, goodness, Knowledge, wisdom, grace, hope, and even God's very revelation of himself. That's the connotation of light in the pages of the scriptures. But on the other hand, darkness, what does darkness refer to? It refers to evil and sin and despair. And so you see this drastic difference, this comparison, this contrast between light and dark. And it was from the very beginning. God created the light. He said, that's good. And he separated it. He made it different. He distinguished it from that which is dark. Now, apply that connotation to James 1.17, which says this, every good gift, in other words, that which is good, and every perfect gift, gift, that which is even better than good, is from above, coming down from the Father of what? Lights. With whom there is no variation or shadow. In other words, there is no indication of darkness due to change. There is no hint of darkness in Almighty God. Why? Because He is good. He is the source of that which is is light. So God is good and light represents all that is good. Darkness, on the other hand, is the opposite of that. It's the opposite of light. John 3.19 uses it this way. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, but the people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. They loved the evil. They loved their sin. And therefore, they loved the darkness. They did not love the light. So we have the fact that light was created by God, that God himself is light, and there is a differentiation between light and darkness. Another thing that is said of light in the biblical context is that light serves as a guide. Not only did the pillar of fire at night guide the Israelites in the wilderness, 
But it is said that even the Word of God is a light that guides us. Psalm 119, 105 says it this way. Your Word, the Holy Writ, the recorded Scriptures, the Bible, is a lamp unto my feet and a what? A light to my path. So, so God's Word is a light that guides us in what is true and good. What about light from a biological perspective? Let's, let's move away from the Scriptures for just a moment and let's talk about it from a biological perspective. What impact would, would no light have on our existence? It would be catastrophic, right? Think about it for just a moment. If there is no light, if the sun ceased and there was no source of light whatsoever, the plant life that re- requires light to produce photosynthesis to stay alive would cause all plant life to die, right? To dissipate. Well, what about the animals that depend upon the plant life? Well, obviously they would be drastically affected. What about the animals that you and I depend upon? Well, then, then now we're drastically affected. In a sense, if light ceases to exist, all life ceases to exist. And so from a biological standpoint, light is extremely important. We were told during, uh, during COVID that what we learned is, is that the body craves vitamin D, and that's actually a weapon in staying healthy. Well, where does vitamin D come from? Uh, it comes from the sun, right? Or whole milk, apparently. I don't know the difference between the two. But vitamin D is vital to life, right? And so he is God. Jesus is God. And he says that when he says, I'm the light of the world. He is also good. And it is Jesus that sustains life. And beyond that, he provides eternal life. So we've looked at the source. Now let's look at the scattering. The, the scattering. So following Jesus saying, I'm the light of the world, he says this. He says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. In other words, darkness is scattered in the life of the believer, right? Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Now, I think there's a couple of key components here that I want to pull out for us this morning. I want to press into. First is the need to define the words, follow me. In other words, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, quite simply, it means to express trust in him. It means to come to faith. It means to become a Christian. Those that have trusted Jesus follow him. And those that follow him have the promise of eternal life in heaven. And the Bible says that because of the finished work of the cross, the righteousness of Jesus has been imputed or credited on our account. Here's what this looks like. In order to have fellowship with God, who is holy and perfect and righteous, in order to dwell with him in eternity forever, you and I must be holy, perfect, and righteous. Now, I don't know about your testimony, but the testimony of myself and the testimony of the Bible is that we are all sinners and we've fallen short of the glory of God. Hence, in lies a huge problem. You and I, in our sin, cannot dwell with God. So how do we remedy the problem? Well, God remedied it by sending his son Jesus to be perfect where we could not be perfect and that Jesus took our place on the cross paying the atonement for our sin and shame so that by faith in him, 
God says, you know what? I'm going to take the righteousness of my son Jesus, the perfection of my son Jesus, and I'm going to credit it to those who place faith in him. And therefore, by faith and trust in Jesus and the finished work of the cross and his resurrection, we are saved, rescued. And the moment in which we express faith in Jesus as Lord is the moment that we begin following him. If you have in turn responded to Jesus by faith as Lord, you are a follower of his. Think about it for just a moment. The light of the world comes, shines light into our life, shows the error of our ways, that we are sinners, right? Every one of us in that boat. It exposes our sin, but more importantly, it exposes our need for a Savior. And Jesus is that very Savior. And by God's grace, through the vehicle of faith, we are justified. Now, I think it's important to say here that we do not, quote, follow Jesus just because we grew up in a Christian home. You know, over the many years of of ministry, I've heard people say something like, well, I've just always believed, or I've just always been a Christian. Well, the problem with that is that theologically, no one has always been a Christian. God doesn't have grandchildren, He only has children. That is to say, we don't get to heaven on the faith of our parents or our grandparents. We don't have salvation just because we grew up in a home of Christians. So so then how do we have salvation? Well, in in Jesus' exchange with a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he tells us quite literally how we have this life. And he says that we must be, quote, born again. That is to say, you've been born physically, but have you been born spiritually? Is there a moment in time in which you have come to the realization that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, and you have bowed the knee to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life? That is when you are spiritually reborn. Now, I'm not saying that you have to remember the date. You have to remember the time. I know believers that know that information. I don't. The only thing that I could tell you is that when I was about nine years old, I, I became instantly, keenly aware that I am a fallen human being. I'm a sinner. And that that poses a problem to a relationship with the Holy God and that I'd been taught that Jesus died on the cross in my place. And, and there at the age of nine, I surrendered my life to Jesus as the Lord and Savior of my life. I acknowledged Him as Lord and Savior. I, I want to show you this, this change that happens of how you know when you really truly begin following Jesus. Ephesians 2.8 says this, for by grace you have been saved. In other words, that's an event, right? That's an occurrence. It's, a, it's an event that took place in the past. You have been saved. How? Through faith. In other words, by way of faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's the moment in which we receive God's gift to us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. In that moment, when you were saved, you began following Jesus. And Jesus began changing you. And no longer do we see things through our own lens of our own desires. We see things through the lens of Jesus. This is what it means to follow Him So Jesus then says, whoever follows me. 
In other words, whoever has done exactly that, what happens? Look at the rest of the statement. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Listen, followers of Jesus do not walk in darkness. Remember, what is the connotation of darkness? Evil, sin, despair. When we are saved, we begin a process that is known as the process of being sanctified. Sanctification. That is, simply put, how we are becoming more and more like Jesus each and every day. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes I get frustrated with the sanctification process. It's like it goes a little slower than what I want, right? Can anybody relate to me on that? Like, I still struggle. I'm being sanctified. But one of the greatest evidences of salvation is the desire to say, I no longer want to pursue that sin. I instead want to pursue Jesus. Yeah, I struggle with this sin, but I'm trying to leave the sin because I want to be like Jesus. That's one of the greatest evidences that we truly have been saved. We no longer love sin and darkness. No, we love the light that exposes sin and darkness. Well, how do we engage? How do we actively engage in the sanctification process? We do that by way of discipleship. Discipleship. We press into what God's word says and we take it from here and we apply it into our heart and we begin to order our steps accordingly. James 1, 21 through 25 paints the purpose picture of discipleship. Look at it, verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Why? Because that's what people who walk in darkness participate in, right? Put that away and receive with meekness the implanted word, the implanted word of God, which is able to save your souls, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, so deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. In other words, what James is saying is that the word of God, the Bible, like a mirror, reveals things about us sometimes that are unpleasant. You know, we look in the mirror to fix our faces because we we don't want to continue looking bad. Right? My wife tells me all the time, fix your face, Chris, like you look, <laughs> like you're mad. Fix your face. We need a mirror. To, and the mirror reveals that. And then at that point, we have a choice. We can either say, yeah, I, I, see, I see where there's filth in my life, but mm, I'm going to keep on going. That's being a hearer of the word only. But if we so reveal our lives and we stack it up against the word of God and we say, oh, mm, there's a couple areas in my life that are out of whack and out of step. I need to change and be a doer of the word. That's exactly what James is talking about. He says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, the word of God, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is what it means to not walk in darkness. Now, can I acknowledge something here that that probably is your experience too. I know it's certainly my experience. Sanctification is oftentimes painful. If I'm honest, like nobody wants to be told that what they're doing is wrong. 
No one wants to be called on the carpet. Like that, that's not fun. Like no, nobody really wants that. But here's the deal. I also look back and I thank God for moments like that in my life that called me on my stuff, that allowed me to, to, to make a change. In, in a world that wants to reject the conviction of the Holy Spirit, beloved followers of Jesus must crave the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, there's a big difference. How do you know that you're being convicted by the Holy Spirit? There's a difference between conviction and guilt. Guilt is a tool of the enemy that you use to beat yourself up and it causes you to be stuck there in that. Conviction is different. Conviction says, ooh, yeah, I shouldn't be doing that and God lovingly leads you in the ways of truth. That's the difference between guilt and conviction. And the Holy Spirit does a really good job of convicting us of our sin And therefore, believers in Jesus, we do not continue to walk in darkness, but rather we walk in the light and truth. So that's the scattering of darkness from our lives. So we talked about the source, we talked about the scattering. Now let's look at the third component of what Jesus says, and that's the sharing. The sharing. Look back again at John 8, 12. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, last week, if you were here, uh, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, we talked about that word in the original language that's translated life. There's actually three different words, and it means three totally different things. And we talked about how the word that Jesus used then was the word zoe, which means real life, spiritual life fulfilling, joyful life. Well, guess which word Jesus used when he says that you will have the light of life? The exact same word. So here again, Jesus is obviously talking about that those who follow him are given eternal life. Now, I also think that when we think of eternal life, we have a tendency to say, well, eternal life doesn't begin until we die and we enter into eternity. I don't believe that that's what the Bible teaches. I I believe that when we come to faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior, eternal life begins at that moment. Well, how can you say that? Well, Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and life more abundantly. In other words, eternal life. I've come that you may have it right now, eternal life. But also in another I am statement, Jesus says what? He says, though you die, yet shall you live. So death is just a moment that gives way to victory in which we already operate in as a believer in Jesus Christ. And so so when we come to faith in Jesus, we have eternal life at that moment. That's a powerful truth to hold on to. And certainly that's what Jesus is talking about when he says that those that follow him will have the light of life. But I think there's more here. And I think what Jesus is calling the attention of his disciples to is back to the Sermon on the Mount. Remember what Jesus taught his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 14. Jesus says, you. In other words, you're the disciples. You are the light of the world. Well, isn't that interesting? 
Jesus is the light of the world, but we are the light of the world. How is that possible? Well, when you become a follower of Jesus Christ, Ephesians 1 teaches that at that moment, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. You have the very presence of God who happens to be light, and you and I then actually become lights to the world. Jesus goes on to say, And a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others. In other words, put it on display so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is what I'm picturing. Jesus is saying, not only am I the light of the world, whenever they lit the four candelabras in the court of women and it, and it, it, it commemorated the Shekinah glory of God, Jesus, Jesus is saying, I am that, but more than that, you are that. You and I get to behold, get to display the Shekinah glory of God into a very dark world. We are to share the light. Remember whenever you were a kid, you sing this little light of mine. Anybody, anybody get their light out, right? I'm going to let it shine. Put it under a bushel. Oh, no, no. It went like this. Put it under a bushel. No. no. Right? I'm going to let it shine. Listen, when Jesus comes into your life, when the light of the world comes into your life, you then become a light to the world. And you do so for a very specific purpose. To reflect the very glory of God. We're kind of like the moon. The moon does not have a source of light, but it reflects the light from the sun. And it gives light in the darkness. We're like the moon in that way. We reflect the glory of the sun, S-O-N. And therefore, we are lights in a very dark world. Listen, I think if there's one thing that we could all agree on in this room, it's the fact that we live in a dark world, right? I mean, darkness is all around us. Everywhere you look, you see evidence of evil in our world. You see evidence of brokenness in our world. We see it in mass shootings, even in schools. Hate crimes, racism, drug use, addiction, broken homes. And listen, we could spend all afternoon naming all of the evidence of brokenness that we see. That is the evidence of darkness. And you know what I often say whenever I see those things? I often say, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, come and redeem that which is broken in our world. But today, I want you to hear something. I want you to hear what I think Jesus might be saying to us. When we say, God, the world is broken, come and fix it. You know what I think he's saying? I've already come. And I indwell in the life of the followers of mine. And they are the very light in the darkness by which we're crying out to come. You and I are lights in a very dark world. Oh, but Pastor Chris, you don't know the darkness in my workplace. I don't, but I know that God has you there to be the light. 
Our schools were filled with such turmoil, Pastor Chris. What are we going to do? I don't know. We need students to be the light. That's your job, Eric. Good luck, right? To, to be the light. Our community is reeling from the effects of so much brokenness. Let's be the light. And, and here's the truth. I think, I think sometimes if we're honest, we would all say that there is a certain level of fear that comes with trying to live that way. Like, I think we might be at a point where we can say, okay, Pastor Chris, I see what you're saying, and yes and amen to that. But there's a lot of fear associated with that. Like, what if the people don't like the light that I shine? Or what if the people reject me because of the light at which I shine? Well, can I tell you something? If what you're shining is the light of Jesus, no darkness can overcome it. Think about the principles of light and dark. Light always dispels darkness. Darkness never quenches light. Right? Like if we were to turn out all the lights in this room and cover these beautiful stained glass windows and make it pitch dark in here where you can't even see the, the, the hand in front of your face, if one person had one flashlight, it would illuminate enough for all of us to see. That's because darkness cannot overcome light. So what is it that we're afraid of? We have the very light of life. It cannot be quenched. It cannot be extinguished. In fact, I think that when Jesus says this in, in, in Matthew chapter 16, upon Peter's confession, he says, and, and, I, and I will tell you that, the, that uh, the, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It means this, that when my light bearers carry light into a dark world, darkness has to flee. Like it, it can't even measure up to it. Listen, don't be afraid to be the light. We should be encouraged to always be the light. Darkness can't dispel it. And whoever has the light of life can't help but share it. Well, how do you shine your light, Pastor Chris? How do, practically speaking, how do we do this? Well, instead of walking in darkness, walk in the ways of Jesus. Instead of participating in corruption, live lives of integrity. Instead of participating in immorality, let's reflect the life of Jesus. Where you see someone hurting, give them the light of life. Where you see someone broken, minister to them. Look for opportunities to show kindness. Boy, isn't that a lost art in our day and time? Can you imagine the power of just being kind to people? When people are blown away by kindness. Love one another. Jesus says this, you will know that, that they will know that you are my disciples. How? For the love that you have for one another. We, one of the greatest lights that we have is the love that we have for one another. Give of yourself. Invest in the kingdom. The point is that there are countless ways to let your light shine. Just shine it. And shine it brightly and unapologetically. If you're wanting to know specific, how do I share my light in my workplace? Let me, let me just give you a tool. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to give you an opportunity. To open your eyes to an opportunity. And I promise you, the Holy Spirit's good at that. And when you start praying prayers like that, look for opportunities. So be the light. Jesus is the source of light. We use light within us to scatter the darkness in our lives. And then when we become the light of the world, we let our light shine and we share it with everyone. You're listening to Trinity Baptist Church's Hope for the Broken podcast. If you would like to learn more about this ministry, visit us online at trinitytx.org. That's trinitytx.org. 
Here's Pastor Chris to wrap up our time together. Thanks for listening today. I'm so glad that you found this podcast. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. It is our goal at Trinity to lead everyone into a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have questions about what it means to trust Jesus as the Lord of your life, we would love to connect with you. Please feel free to give us a call at 903-572-1959 or email us at info at trinitytx.org. If you are ever in the East Texas area, we invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 a.m. Thanks so much for listening today. God bless you. We pray that you have experienced hope today. If you would like to support the ministries of Trinity Baptist Church with a financial gift, you can do so by giving online. Simply log on to trinitytx.org and click the Give tab. Be sure to join us next week as we look into God's Word on Hope for the Broken.